Welcome to Demand Does the Six Questions, where the same six questions can tell a unique story. I am your host, Demond, father of two, husband of one, and leader of this here Demodcast. Thank you for joining us, and thank you for the reviews. And speaking of reviews, if you could go to wherever you downloaded this podcast from, take a couple minutes, just leave a five-star rating and a review. It could actually be honest, or you could say... I like cream cheese. Bam, 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 bam. I wonder how you spell that. So please leave a review. Tell a couple friends and and help more people join the conversation. My guest is a lifelong member of the IT industry and has donated much of his time to the creation and maintenance of computer labs for schools, after-school centers, and adult education programs. He can also be found hosting the Genesis Science Fiction Radio Series, a weekly online show for the Black Science Fiction Society website. His Dark Side Trilogy has been optioned for a Netflix series. Please welcome William Hayashi! Thank you for having me, Ben. I, I do have to make one correction because I've been tardy in updating my website uh, we concluded an eight-year run for the Genesis Science Fiction Radio Show, but we have eight years, over eight years of podcasts that are available for people to download. Only download them and listen to them after you've listened to these podcasts here. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Thank you for your time. I appreciate you. How you doing today? I'm doing well. It's a little chilly here in Chicago, but it's nice and sunny out. Um, we do know winter is coming. Isn't it always chilly in Chicago? Isn't it just like a constant state of chilly to cold there? Well, not during the summer. During the summer, we can have those like 98 degree days with 80% humidity. You know, those are the kind of days where I can't do a damn thing with my hair. <laughs> um. <laughs> It's going to be one of those. All right. I can't wait. This is exciting. So the the Genesis Science Fiction Radio Series ended. Did, have you decided to replace it with anything or are you busy with other ventures? Not, not right now. I mean, an eight-year run is a long time. The hardest part about doing uh, a weekly podcast like that, and, and actually it's a live show, and then it turns into a podcast, obviously, after we're done. But the hardest part is if you're going after a certain segment of society, and for us it was black creatives in science fiction, fantasy, and horror, you know, eventually it becomes harder and harder and harder to find people to be on the show, partly through attrition. People come and go. The other part is the fact that you start using up a large part of the segment. So you have fewer and fewer people to, to choose from or to even find. So I haven't decided what I'm going to do next. I'm not really sure what Jarvis is. Uh, he's the um, owner and operator of BlackScienceFictionSociety.com. I'm not sure what he has in mind. We haven't talked for a little while. And I think it was also good, you know, to, to kind of give it up at this point so that, I mean, I don't think I was sounding stale, but maybe I was using the same jokes too often or something. But, um, no, nothing's been decided about what may follow it. 
uh, I've got a lot of other things going on, so I'll be occupied as does he. Jarvis is one of the hardest working men in um, black science fiction. So I, I can't really point to anything that may be coming up. His name is, did you say his name is Jarvis? Jarvis Sheffield, yeah. As in like the, uh, no, that's TARDIS, never mind. <laughs> um, I was thinking of Doctor Who. Jarvis is the uh, oh, Jarvis is oh, the yeah. uh, butler of Iron Man. I think that's what it was. That's why I was getting confused. Anyway, right. All right. Um, all right. So, are you ready to answer the six questions? I am. Question number one: When did you know you wanted to be a writer? It happened pretty quickly. It was February of two thousand one. And I think I had just gotten through reading something about how some article written about the fact that uh, there were not that many people writing black science fiction. There just wasn't a lot of content out there. And, and I, just in my own life, knew a bunch of people who were producing, you know, science fiction, fantasy, and horror stories. Some even doing movies, some doing podcasts, some doing video video logs and things like that. So that was part of it. The other part was it, it was kind of two protest things. I wanted to do something in, you know, the black science fiction genre. And the second part was take any writing classes or you attend any serious writing seminars. The consensus that you will hear is that there are no more new stories to do. You can do the, a variation on a theme, but there's been so much written in the history of man that trying to find a unique story that hasn't been done to death is a very difficult thing. Well, I, I said, no, nah, I said BS on that. And so what I did was I sat down and I wrote the last line of my first book, which is discovery. And I'm not going to tell you what the last line is, but I wrote that last line and then I put it away and I proceeded to write Believe it or not, the first draft was 330,000 words to get to that ending. And then over the next few years, started editing and cutting it down and refining and learning the craft of writing. I have never written anything creative like that prior to sitting down in, in, in that February. I kept writing and writing and writing. I wrote through the summer. And then one Friday evening in November... I was sitting at my computer writing, 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 and finally I wrote that last line. And I kind of just sat there. I was in shock, you know, that I had actually written a book, good, bad, or otherwise. You know, it didn't matter that, but, but the fact that I had sat down and, and had actually written it, it blew my mind. And I was, I was a little shocky. I stood up. I was a little lightheaded. I went to play tennis that night, and the balls were flying past me. I had to get revenge on those people the following week. But that's what it was. It was it was finally just sitting down because I had had enough, and I thought maybe it was something I wanted to try to do. So that was it. Started in February of two thousand one, and I was done in November. That is an incredible story, and that's the first book, first fiction book you decided to write. Yeah, I didn't even write short stories or anything before that. I just sat down and I had this story in my mind and. I, I had these subplots, I was thinking of characters, and I was writing, and during that nine months, more often than not, I would dream about the book, you know, either situations or something I didn't want to forget, and I'd have to get up and go and write it down because it was, you know, something that I thought would be pretty good. 
but yeah, that was that was the first bit of fiction that I ever wrote. I understand that you are like a very how do I put this meticulous editor, and what I mean by that is I believe you said I believe I heard you say somewhere that you want every word to progress the plot and to progress the story. Is that the case? And how, if that's the case, how do you do that? I read a book on writing, and I can't remember the guy. He's a famous novelist. One of the things that he said in, in this book, he said that if whatever you're writing is not moving the plot along, it doesn't belong in there. Well, okay, that's kind of hard to achieve when you're first writing. But when I do edit, I employ something that I call perfect fit. And what perfect fit consists of is I will look at a sentence, I will say it in my head, I will go look at every word in the sentence, and, and I will see if there are better words to say what, what that sentence says. You know, because I, I don't want to waste words, and I want, to be, I want to be efficient enough and good enough that when somebody reads that sentence, they'll know exactly what I meant. Because there's all kinds of instances in life that we run into where we may read something and not really, we may not understand what the original intent was. And I, you know, it's a tough thing because if somebody critiques your book and tells you, hey, you know, I got this out of your book. I, I saw where you did such and such and such and such. As an author, you can't argue what someone else got out of your book. I mean, you can't. Every author does it. But the fact of the matter is that's what the reader got out of it. And so if it wasn't what you intended, that's your fault as, as the writer. It's not their fault. For, you know, you can't say, well, you just didn't understand. Well, if they didn't understand, it was because you were less than clear in writing. Okay. And so perfect fit is just a method that I use to make sure that the words I use are in common use, fairly common use in English, and have a fairly consistent definition by most people, by the average reader, the above average reader, what have you. That's the part about the editing that I was talking about when I was talking about perfect fit. Question number two. What do you wish you had known when you first started out? <laughs> oh man well I will tell you this I wish I had known how to spell better <laughs> thankfully thankfully word perfect you know does a very good job at catching me at my my spelling errors and the other thing that I wish I had known um, and I had never studied it for that intent is I wish I'd known grammar better that's kind of an important thing you know when you write especially online. Let's talk about writing on social media. If you write something in social media, that's unless someone like you gets to talk to me like this or somebody listens to a podcast that I do or something like that, you, the only way you can judge me, judge my competence, judge my creativity, judge anything about me is from my words. And a lot of people don't realize how important their words are and how crucial it is to be able to express yourself not only succinct, succinctly, but to express yourself in a way that's unambiguous to other people. What kind of process did you do to kind of hone those skills, or just was it just you know reading and refining and just practice, or is there anything specific that gave you an aha moment to, to help you with some of this? 
Well, I've written, let's see, six, seven, seven and a half novels now. And as I write and as I get things back from editors, I learn better grammar. Okay. Spelling, not a big deal. I always catch the spellings. Well, no, I, you know, my word perfect. I use word perfect instead of word. Writing more has made me a better writer. And I think that it does show up in each successive novel that I've written. I think each one is a little more refined, probably gets to the point a little better. I've gone from writing 220,000 word novels down to 150,000 words. They are weighty because I, I cover a lot of action. I really like to let my characters tell the story. So I give them a little more latitude than maybe some other people do in, in their books. But I think that the thing that has improved me the most is just continuing to write and pay attention to what editors correct and learn from their correction. Question number three. What's your go-to order at your favorite hometown restaurant? I have a seafood place, one of the best seafood places in Chicago, right around the corner from me. It's called Glenn's. And they do a lobster fettuccine that is equal parts bad for me, but some of the greatest food that I've ever eaten. I love their, the way they do it, the way they prepare it. So I, and I like seafood in general. When I had that lobster fettuccine, I had never thought to mix the two. Up until then, the, the best seafood I had was obviously out in Fisherman's Wharf in um, San Francisco. Okay. So Glenn's Diner, lobster fettuccine. Have you had a go-to COVID meal? No, not really. I mean, I cook things that are simple, and I really hate cleaning up. So if I can do something with one pan, that's great. A lot of times I can't. At first it was a little hard. I was picking up a little weight because I was sitting around a lot, but I'm, I'm fine now. I, you know, I can moderate everything. And in a couple months I'll be able to exercise again. I'm, I'm actually getting a hip replaced. So that'll be kind of cool too because that'll increase my mobility. Yeah, good luck with that. Uh, good luck with that. That's, <laughs> Thank that's you. No Thank fun. you very much. Question number four. What are you curious about? I'm curious about other writers, their process of creation and their process of organizing their plot. And that's one of the things that I've sorely been missing. The uh, science fiction convention industry is essentially shut down. It has been for a while. And one of the things that made me go to all of those conventions was meeting my peers, meeting writers, and being able to spend time talking to them, talking process, talking story ideas, and just seeing how people get things done. I can't say that I'm the most efficient writer. You know, my excellence is not universal because I haven't had enough practice. I haven't learned enough. You know, every now and then I'll hear somebody say something and I'll go, you know, that sounds like a good idea. You know, maybe I should try that or, you know, organizing thoughts. Oh, there's some software that can help you with a plot. What does that do? Let me see what that does. Will that help me at all? That's the part that I've really been missing, the ability to collaborate with other people and not necessarily collaborate on stories, 
but collaborate on techniques on how to improve your writing and things like that. What's the best writing advice you have received so far or the most useful? What's the most useful writing advice you've received so far? Write your manuscript first and then edit it later. When I first started writing, I would write a chapter and then I would edit and edit and edit and edit and edit. And that really slowed the creative process down. And I didn't know that at the time. Probably the most useful thing that someone taught me or told me was get the story down on paper first and then go and clean it up afterwards. Because that way it's fresh. I tend to think that it's better. You know, once you go and you edit the hell out of a chapter and then you try to start up a new chapter after that, I have found it to be not as efficient a process for me. So that was it. Write it down. Get it down on paper. Then worry about everything else. You have the Dark Side Trilogy. You have seven novels? I have five that are out. But here's the thing. I did the Dark Side Trilogy. And then I had more to say. And I had a very exciting way to go. So I started and completed a second trilogy, which is the Archangel X Trilogy. And it's being published by... Cosby Media Production. And they've got the first installment of the Archangel X trilogy out. It's called Quarantine. How apropos for this year. Right. And it's it's out. And the other two volumes are Enmity and Enlightenment. The next two will be out shortly. Uh, the second book is waiting for artwork for the cover. And the third book is in edit right now. So there'll be two trilogies, and then there's a seventh volume that winds the whole thing up. It's called Triumph. I'm about halfway done with writing that. So that, that's, that's where all of, all of that is, and they're all in the Dark Side universe. I think once I'm done, no, I, I'm sure, once I'm done with the Dark Side universe, once I'm done with Triumph, that'll be it, and then I'm going to go on to some other things. I have a couple of young adult novels I want to get done having to do with kids who develop you know, some pretty cool powers. I want to pivot away from what I've been living with since uh, the turn of the century. Question number five. Is there anything I should have asked but didn't? To interview a creative, I think, is a hard thing. You know, I did it for years and years and years, and it wasn't always that easy. I had some standard questions, which were good. But since creativity is not a known quantity, people can see creativity when it occurs, but nobody knows what the basis for creativity is. You know, what, what makes somebody creative? Can you foster creativity in somebody else? Um, those, are, those are issues that I think don't have ready answers. So, you know, you could have asked me anything and it would have been apropos as long as it had to do with my writing and, and, you know, production and things like that. I've been fortunate enough that somebody has decided that my writing is good enough to produce a, uh, or adapt to television. That's an exciting thing. I don't know if that's something that you were going to ask me or not. That's exciting to me because I'm going to get to see the inner workings of how they put together a television show, especially how they adapt it from somebody's writing. I think that other than that, no, I think you ask what you're interested in and you ask what you think your audience is interested in. And I think you've done great. Um, actually, I was going to get to the uh, adaptation of uh, your 
Oops. your series Sorry. to that, no that was my next question i was i was like if he pauses right here i can slide right in um, <laughs> you have been very successful with your writing considering when you started and i mean you haven't you you've been option for tv you've got uh you're gonna have at, at the end of this at the end of this story these stories seven books out and there's a lot of people toiling who have never published anything why do you think you've been success, as successful as you have? It actually goes back to me as a preteen. Um, my dad was a fan of science fiction, and he had so many books from the golden age of science fiction, you know, the Asimovs, the Heinleins, the Arthur C. Clarke. Oh, my God, you know, they're all of those people from the 30s, 40s, 50s, and he had them in his study. I think that one of the reasons why I write as well as I do, and pardon me if that sounds egotistical, but I'm just parroting back what other people have told me. I think the reason why I can write as well as I do is because I've read thousands of books, thousands of books, okay? As a reader, and you're reading a book, you know if a book is good or not. Are the characters compelling or not? Is the plot compelling or not? What makes you keep reading the book and not put it down? What makes you return to a certain author or not? And I think that by having read so many books, it's helped me in, in two very important ways. The first way is I never write a book that's derivative of somebody else's story, or I don't think I have. When I started writing Discovery, my elevator pitch was, Discovery begins a story of what happens in America when African-Americans have been discovered secretly living on the backside of the moon since before Neil Armstrong got there. So with that kind of premise, with that kind of elevator pitch, it turned out pretty well because it wasn't something that somebody else had done. As far as being, being a good writer, I think having a decent education is essential. I think, you know, I went to some pretty good schools early on, you know, elementary schools and, and uh, high school. I came from a really unique neighborhood where education was a big thing. I grew up in the University of Chicago neighborhood of High Park. And that helps, too, because if you're around people who are pretty bright, in order to keep up, you have to kind of bring your A game. But as far as telling stories, I think that the best part of my writing is that I can create compelling characters that people relate to very, very easily and maybe even get hooked on because most people follow an author because they like their characters. They like the situation, maybe, maybe an environment. If you're talking about a series, you know, I think that that helped a lot, but I think the big thing is read. You have to read. If you don't read, how the hell do you know if you're not copying somebody else's book, somebody else's story? I mean, look how many times, you know, you may have picked up a book and you go, man, this is a lot like X or Y or Z. So I think that's really important. I think my having read all those books at a very, very young age, and it, it suggested my interest, you know, even into adulthood, even now, has helped a lot. So what has it been like? to have your property, your baby, basically. Optioned? Yeah, optioned for a TV show. That's that's crazy. It's been pretty cool. And, and you know what? You're right. It is crazy. 
Okay. I am not a, I'm not a best-selling author. Okay. I, you know, I, I have no idea how many people who have read what I've written. I don't run up to Amazon and see how many books I've sold. I don't, I don't, you know, look, I don't go to Barnes. I don't do that. I wrote them. If people like them, they'll read them. I'm even uncomfortable pimping my own books to people I meet. Hey, do you like reading science fiction? Well, I don't like doing that either. But it is crazy because the one question that I really want to know is how that first person in that Netflix kind of atmosphere discovered discovery because they had to read that and then go read the others in order for somebody to say, Hey, this might make a good TV show. So that's interesting to me. The other part of that is I'm so interested to see what the production process is like. How is the head writer going to create story arcs? What subplots are going to be used? What subplots will be discarded? Will characters have to be made to make it more palatable for a visual medium? Will we have to eliminate, or will they have to eliminate characters because these characters just don't, they don't mean enough to be in the retelling of the story? So that's really interesting. And it is crazy. It's crazy. You know, I, I believe it because it's happened and I got paperwork, but it, like you said, it is a crazy thing. I've been a published author for 11 years. That's not very long a time. You know, there are people who don't get discovered for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, till they die, whatever. And so I feel very, very fortunate. If it's because of the quality of the work, okay, I feel proud about that. But I don't feel, you know, too egotistical about it. I I enjoy writing and I want to do it well. I mean, everything I do, I want to do well. I'm a little anal that way. I'm a little driven and people who know me, who hear this are going to laugh because they're not going to think that I would have admitted that. But I, I know me, you know, if if I want to do something and somebody else is going to see it, I do have a goal. I'm a neurotic over and underachiever simultaneously. The overachieving part is I want to do something as good or better than anybody else. I would love to do it better than anybody else. Not that you can count on that. Not that I'm good enough to do that, but that's my goal because I think to do anything else is unworthy. But the underachieving part is I'm also lazy. I'm going to put in the least amount of effort to get it done at the same time. That's how I do all of that. I can't tell you what the process was that made me do discovery the way I did, which obviously led to all the other books and led to the success I have now. But, um, Sometimes when I go back and read parts of it, I, and I do have to do a second edition because I want to clean it up. I want to make it a little shorter. But when I read parts of it, I don't recognize that it's my writing, if that makes any sense to you. Why is that? Because the words are like a real book. It's like somebody wrote a real book. It could have been uh, Robert Heinlein or Isaac Asimov or Anne McCaffrey, whoever. There is a disconnect between seeing the pages on the book and knowing, oh, yeah, I did that. Ah, yeah, yeah, I wrote that. Because, because in some small ways and in some important ways, I barely believe that I did it. I don't know if that makes sense at all to anybody, but it's, it's a weird dichotomy for me. 
That's interesting. That that does make sense in a way. That's interesting. And I would like to propose instead of you being uh, lazy, I su- I suggest that you are efficient. Well, yes, I know I'm lazy, but I tell everybody. Now, don't tell anybody. I'm going to tell you this. Yeah, I know I'm lazy, but I tell everybody I work smart, not hard. <laughs> Question number six. If you could create a new holiday, what would it commemorate? If I were going to create a holiday, maybe even a paid holiday, I would make election day a holiday because then nobody would have to lose money to exercise the American franchise. Here, here, sir. Here, here. There are so many ways that voters, and specifically black voters, you know, I'm half black, half Japanese. You know, people see that Japanese last name, they make whatever assumptions they want. They read my book, they go, oh, black content, and they, or they hear me, you know, say I'm black, and they think something else. But I will tell you right now, the, the things that are going on in this country, propagated by the Republican Party, I don't give a damn what you are, Democrat or Republican, these are just facts, to disenfranchise voters are criminal because the thing that makes our country one of the things that made it so unique was putting the governance of our country into the hands of the people by allowing them to pick the people who are going to represent them. You know, that's a pretty damn important thing. And to go ahead and to try to disenfranchise either, you know, blacks or, or uh, Latinos or whoever, women way back when, well, not so way back when, let's see what this next Supreme Court justice is going to be like, is something that is so anti-American and so against what the framers of our Constitution and the people who created this country stood for and wanted this country to stand for, even though a couple of them were slave owners, they still put together a living document that has been the political envy of most every other country out there, you know, that's starting up, you know, all of the ideas that were in it to have a, a bill of rights. Where else in the world are we guaranteed the pursuit of happiness? So, disenfranchising people from voting is a big deal. So if, if I could create a holiday that gets more people to the polls so people can express what it is that they feel that this country should stand for and pick the people who they think are the most likely ones to carry out their dreams about what this country should be, I think that, that's a pretty damn cool idea for a holiday. Election Day should be a holiday or put it on a Saturday, put it on a Sunday. I don't know. But for people to have to miss it because, okay, they have to get their kids ready to go to school in the morning and they can't get to a polling place that opens, you know, at the crack of dawn, or they have to pick up the kids or they have to work or whatever, and they can't get out to cast a vote. That stands against everything that this country was supposed to stand for. How can my listeners find you? I use my regular name on Facebook. They can find me there. I'm in LinkedIn. I'm not that hard to find. You know, at first, 
you know, I, I didn't join Facebook until I became an author because I wanted to be accessible to people who read my work, good or bad. You know, if they have good things to say about what I write and there are bad things to say what I, what I, about what I write. So, you know, you can find me on social media. You can find me on LinkedIn. Don't stop by the house. That's not a good idea. I have one of the most beautiful Google search results under my name that a person can have. That's, that's an easy way as well. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you. Oh man. Thank you for wanting me. You know, it's, it, you know, it, it's, it's kind of a validation of the work I do when people get in touch with me and say, Hey, uh, you know, I'm interested in a little bit about you. Do you mind sharing that with people? I mean, that's as flattering as it gets. So thank you very much for your time and your attention. And thank you, dear listener, for your time and attention. I appreciate you. And if you could leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download this from, I would be greatly appreciative. My guest next week is the producer of the documentary Lady Wrestler, The Amazing Unknown Story of African-American Women in the Ring, which chronicles the stories of courageous athletes who excelled in the male, blah, 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 blah. I'm not going to say that. It's about black women wrestling. Yes, black women wrestling. In the 50s and 60s, that's before the civil rights movement. That's like all up in some Jim Crow. Next week, you are going to meet the filmmaker that did something that Arnold Schwarzenegger couldn't do. Next week, I bring to you Chris Bornet. So until next time, see it, hear it, speak it, live.